All right, this is the sports mashup number 54, March 9th, 2022. Lots to cover today. College basketball really starting to go into full gears. I mean, it really already was, but uh, there's a lot to cover in that regard, as well as, you know, NBA, NHL down the stretch of the season. Um, you know, starting in the NBA, uh, the Knicks, quote-unquote, star Julius Randle was fined $50,000 for shoving Suns, uh, you know, like sixth best option had 38 points in his face. Cameron Johnson uh, and making contact with the referee. They're trying to the referee is trying to break up the altercation. Cameron Johnson uh, responded with banking in a three at the buzzer for a one point victory, 115, 114. Career high 38 points, nine for 12 from three, 21 points in the fourth quarter, including six threes. Ended up getting hurt in this game, so he hasn't played since this game. But uh, Julius Randle has responded. You know, he played really well against the Kings the other night. When they won that game, they beat the Clippers. So they've won two in a row since this altercation. But not the greatest look in the world when you're up double digits against the team with the best record in the league on the road, albeit without Paul and Booker. But, uh, you know, really gave the Suns life, I think. Yeah, I mean, Randall. when you're a struggling team and you're up on the best team in the West and then you do that. Yeah, you just can't. You can't, especially on the road. I mean, Julius Randle – has had a bit of a history of losing his uh, temper with officials. And I think he kind of boiled over here and something that we saw. But uh, And for the non-listeners, the people that are watching this, you keep seeing us look like Ethan looks up to the left and I look over to my right. We're watching the Boston College-Wake Forest game that's went in overtime and Boston College is now winning by five. Yeah, Wake Forest can't make a shot. And uh, for those of you who are into the brackets and such, We'll talk about that later, but Wake Forest is not going to get in the tournament if they lose this game, so that's something to uh, to pay attention to. Uh, moving forward here, Jason Tatum dropping 54 in Sunday's win over the Nets with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving both playing. Uh, 24 years old is Tatum, already tied Larry Bird with four 50-point games. It is a different league than it was when Bird was in it, but still uh, very impressive. And I, I, since you now have the online registration available in sportsbooks in Illinois, Maybe we'll be referencing bets a lot more that we made, and I am one who made the uh, Nets money line. And this, that's this I, I think that just on regular season games, because most fifty point games before the twenty fifth birthday, he actually has six. Kobe had five, LeBron had eight, and Michael Jordan had ten. So I yeah, think that's so, just most in the uh, regular season. Not including yep. playoff games. Yep, I think that that's uh, that's fair. Um, yeah, uh, all mean, right. To surpass Kobe in most fifty-point games before turning twenty-five, when Kobe came in the league at eighteen, and well, Tatum only came in at nineteen, but yeah, it's definitely a big accomplishment for sure. Uh, but Nikola Jokic scored 30 points in the fourth quarter in overtime Sunday versus the Pelicans, shooting 10 of 11 from the floor in that stretch. Had 46 points, 12 rebounds, 11 assists, four blocks, and three steals. Shot 16 of 22 from the field. Numbers no player has reached in a single game in NBA history since blocks and steals started being tracked in 90 or 1973-74. I mean, it's pretty good. <laughs> I mean, for his size to do all that and still shoot 16 of 22. There's a reason he won MVP last year, right? Yeah. 
I mean, he's still in the talks for it this year. Yep. I think a lot of that helps considering the injuries that they have. Porter Jr. never staying on the floor and Murray still being hurt. Yeah, and then the Heat uh, prepping for Old Depot is a long way to return. He last played April 8th of 2021, but set, setbacks and such from his second surgery on his right quadricep tendon, which he first injured in January of 2019. I mean, he's oh, wow. a, he'd be a huge piece for the Heat. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a while for him on the, being on the floor. Uh, kind of once thought of as one of the better guards in his position, shooting guards in the league um, when he was with the Pacers. But, I mean, he could was use he, a guy like this. Was he drafted by the Pacers? Um, He's fr- He went to Indiana. I don't think he was drafted by the Pacers. Maybe. Where did he start at? Some reason, um, okay, see him in mind, but I think the in, I don't think the uh, Orlando. Oh yeah, that's right. He went yeah. Orlando to OKC to Indiana to Houston to Miami. I don't even remember being or him being in Houston. It was last year. I don't really think he played very much. Probably he played when, uh, twenty games, and then that's probably when his uh, the April eighth. Set the last time we played. Yeah. Um, then Kevin Durant hits 25,000 point mark in Sunday's loss to the Celtics. And he would be close to, th- or he was said after the game, he would be close to 30,000 without his Achilles injury. I think that's true. Yeah. I think that's true. Uh, you want to move on to the NFL here? Yeah. Uh, lots of news this week in the NFL. Cowboys likely to release Amari Cooper. Uh, I think the thing with this is, number one, they overpaid Ezekiel Elliott. He's not been what he was. Uh, they, you know, gave Dak a ton of money. Yeah, and which we can already go on that, too. I mean, they uh, negotiated a uh, – where is it? They restructured Dak and Zach Martin's contracts. But, yeah, I mean, overpaid Zeke. I don't even know if he's their best back anymore. Yeah, I mean, Pollard's a free agent, so I think he's gone. But I think the thing here is that they want to extend Michael Gallup and have C.D. Lamb as the number one, Gallup as the number two, which I think is fine. I mean, it'll open up some of their salary cap as well. Um, I don't think that – it's hard to pinpoint one issue in their playoff loss last year, like something they need to fix. Their defense was better than it's been in a long time. I guess their offense could have done more, but I don't know. I just Jerry Jones is not good at this. I don't. It's yeah. I mean, they could use a really good safety. Uh, yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, you look at their, um, you look at their corners. Diggs is is pretty good. Right, I mean, yeah. he's not much of a cover guy, but he he'll get you picks, which I think is important. Getting the ball back, but safety is kind of a position. When was the last time they really had an elite safety? You know, long time. Yeah, I mean, they've got a good defensive line, good offensive line, good linebackers. I think overall. Yeah, so I mean, they could use a corner and a safety. Yeah, I think they probably could. But uh, this should open up the cap for him. So then the question is like, what team would could you see Amari Cooper going to? 
Um, because I mean, he's not really a one anymore. He'd be like a two, like a two probably. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't really seen much with him. I mean, could he go Niners? Yeah, maybe. I don't really know what their cap situation is this season. Um, I don't know. Chicago, maybe if they. I don't really know if they want to pay a receiver, but maybe they uh, they look into that. Uh, yeah, I've seen rumors about them. They th- thought they were going to get Devontae Adams, and now their eyes are on Valdez Scantling. It's very cute, you know. It's very cute when Valdez Scantling can't catch some of the passes that Rodgers throws him. How do you expect Justin Fields to be able to do that? Great speed, played a big role in the team, but I think he's one of the guys that is much better in Green Bay than he would be in Chicago. Adams is a different case, but I have a feeling if Amari Cooper's released, like he's not signed until after the draft. I don't think he's going to sign a huge ticket either. I don't, I don't see that happening. That's what I'm thinking. He's the, him and his agent. They'll wait till after the draft to then see who needs a receiver, and then he'll probably ring chase. Yeah, I mean that's not the worst move in the world. I mean, does he go back to Vegas? I guess they were Oakland when he was there. Yeah, speaking of, like think of the now. Uh, we'll get. Uh, I might as well just say it now, because I mean we're gonna get to the Wilson trade. Look at the quarterbacks in that division now. Yeah, it's it's brutal. I mean, Herbert, Herbert Mahomes, Mahomes, Carr, and Wilson. Russell Wilson. And Carr's probably number four on that list. And I mean, but he came from Wilson, Stafford, Kyler Murray, and um, Garoppolo. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Uh, let's get the other things out of the way here. Uh, ESPN. Sources and this, you know, Brian Greasy was on the Monday Night Football the last couple of seasons. Uh, he's going to become the 49ers QB coach, so into the coaching game. Uh, and then Rogers' alleged new contract. So Rogers came out and said, "This, these are not the terms of the deal. He hasn't signed that yet. I think it's it's guaranteed that he's coming back to Green Bay, regardless." Uh, he confirmed that himself. What NFL Network reported was four years, two hundred million. Roger said it wasn't true. I think the thing here is the deal is going to be a little bit structured in a certain way to make the salary cap go down. Um, but either way, he's coming back. And I said it, you know, once again, last year I said the same thing. He's coming back. He's not going anywhere. And I don't think that what Denver gave up for Russell Wilson would be enough for me to consider a Rogers trade. Because I think you look at the numbers the last three years, Rodgers is way better than Russell Wilson. I know age comes into factor, but it's not that big of a difference. And Rodgers has still been way more healthy than Russell Wilson's been the last few years as well. Yeah, and like I think Russell just turned 33 or he's about to. It's like a five- or six-year age difference, and Russell Wilson has been playing behind bad offensive lines his entire career, and he's pretty much started his entire career. Rodgers sat for three years and has been behind mostly good offensive lines and his injuries that he's had have been like freak injuries, like broken collarbone twice, fracturing his legs that he played through. So that's pretty much it. Russell Wilson had the finger issue. with And with Russell Wilson leaving and then the Seahawks releasing um, Bobby Wagner, there was only one guy left from their 2013. Uh, Lockett? No, um, it's a defensive tackle. Um, Lockett wasn't there, I don't think, yet. Um, 
And those Wilson and Bobby Wagner were drafted in the same draft, like a round difference. Two good picks, I would say. Two good picks. Uh, so these stats that I saw since 2020, QB wins, which I don't really think is a stat. Rodgers is tied for first. Wilson is tied for seventh. Uh, completion percentage, Rodgers first. Russell Wilson eighth. Pass touchdown interception ratio, Rodgers first. Wilson fourth, passer rating Rodgers first, Wilson second. So doesn't yeah. seem close to me. No, and Wilson, like a lot of Wilson's like passes is when he's on the run, like scrambling for his life. And other than like the last two years when he's when he had Metcalf and Lockett, he hasn't really had much else. Yep. I mean, before I uh, what was the other receiver they had before he just randomly retired? Doug Baldwin. Yeah, I once he retired, Wilson's numbers went down. So here's the trade: uh, Broncos received Russell Wilson in a fourth next year or this and be, year. And before like the details of this trade came out, I'm like, Wilson just came in to KJ Hamler, Tim Patrick, Jerry Judy, and Cortland Sutton, and Noah Fan. And then the details came out. Yeah. Well, the the Seahawks really or received Drew Locke, Noah Fant, and Shelby Harris. I'm like, well, I guess there goes Noah Fant. He was probably all excited, and then they tell him, "Oh, you're going to Seattle. <laughs> you're staying with Drew Locke." Not great. I mean, they do like Albert Okwuebenam behind Fant clearly because they're keeping him. Um, uh, the Broncos also received the 2022 fourth round pick, Wilt Wilson, but they gave up. 2022 first round pick, which is the ninth overall pick, a 2023 first, two second round picks, one this year, which is the number 40 overall, and then a 2023 pick, and then a 2022 fifth round pick. So I like this deal for both sides. I think for Seattle, you're getting a lot back for him, probably more than you deserve considering how he played last season and some other issues there. But uh, for Denver, I think you need a quarterback like this to win, especially in that division, so why not go for it? I don't really think they gave up something that's going to kill them down the road. Like ninth pick this year, I mean, this draft is is seems hit or miss from what you read. Uh, I wonder if Seattle takes a QB at nine. Like if if nobody if, – if no QBs come off the board yet, do they take like Malik Willis at nine? I mean, I feel like that's a possibility. Uh, Shelby Harris is a good veteran D lineman. No offense, a tight end that you can keep for a long time. Um, and Drew Locke is Drew Locke, probably the week one starter, whether they draft one or not, I would assume. Yeah, I mean, I think the Seahawks made out well in this. I mean, getting the ninth and the 40th pick in this year's draft. Yeah, I think that's good. I think those are two good picks to get. And you and don't know gonna... what next year's picks are going to be either that you're getting, what position. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I think that if Seattle drafts well, they'll make out pretty well in this draft. Uh, now you just see the dominoes that fall. Obviously, Bobby Wagner being released. What happens with DK Metcalf? What happens with Jamal Adams? Uh, the Jamal Adams trade, a bit disastrous at this point. I think they gave up way too much for a safety, no matter who it is. And uh, now they got to figure that out as well, plus the contract. So uh, unsurprisingly, the Panthers are listening to offers on Christian McCaffrey. Can't stay healthy. Considered the best running back in the league when he is healthy. I think that they want, like, what, a first-round pick and a player or something? 
I haven't seen it, I saw what something they're wanting. But I've, I was talking to him about this. I'm like, is he worth that anymore? Because he can't stay healthy. I don't. Like, I, I feel like he's. Pick. I feel like right now he's just like a player for player trade. What about the Dolphins? The Dolphins have a late first round pick because they don't have the Eagles have their other pick. I even said something like, "What if the Panthers and the Giants swapped running backs?" Maybe I don't know. I mean, which McCaffrey's worth more though? So I think the Giants would have to give up one of their top. Like the Giants have a ton of picks in the first three rounds. They could give up one or two of those. Uh, maybe like an early second and Barkley for McCaffrey or something. I don't know if that would do enough for Carolina. But I think for Miami, though, like they have the 27th pick. Give that up. Just throw Miles Gaskin in there or someone like that that you don't really need. And uh, that would make a – I think that would help Tua a lot to have a running back like that. I think McCaffrey relies less on the offensive line as well. And I don't know how many backs are that they could get that would do that because it's not like Carolina's had a world-beating O-line in front of McCaffrey. And he's out, he's out in space a lot too. So yeah. I don't think the offensive line is as big of a factor. No. And another, well, another thing too would be like if if this whole giant Trubisky thing becomes a thing, I think McCaffrey fits better in that system than Saquon does as a read option and a dump off than Saquon. Yeah, I think so. I think that's true. Yeah. Because, I mean, that was almost what him and Cam did. Yeah, they did. And if, uh, yeah, I mean, who I you pretty much be trading Daniel Jones and uh, Saquon Barkley for better and healthier versions of them for the most part, I would think. Like, they're kind of similar in both ways. The Trubisky has stayed healthier than Jones, and he's probably a bit better of a thrower. I'd say Jones is a bit better of a runner, but it kind of, you know, all works itself out in that regard. Um, let's see. The Washington Commanders, they trade for QB Carson Wentz. Uh, so Wentz gone in Indy after one year, the disastrous Week 18 performance against Jacksonville. Probably yeah, hurt him a lot. I lose in the last two games, and in the, I mean, the last one being to the clown town. Yeah, the team that – had the clown noses and shirts and whatever for their GM and Urban Meyer disaster and a rookie quarterback that was struggling. So that's just a as bad a loss as you could have. Uh, Colts receive a 2022 third, a 2023 third that can escalate to a second rounder if wins plays 70% of the snaps and a 2022 second. Uh, the commanders received Wentz and a 2022 second, so they swap seconds. I think this is fine for Indianapolis. Yeah, and – and the uh, uh, commanders are taking, paying his entire salary. So the Colts open up a ton of cap space, losing that $28 million. The problem that I have with this for Indy, if it comes to fruition, is I don't understand the idea of trading Wentz just to trade for Jimmy G. Like, I don't think there's that big of a gap there. Jimmy G's contract sucks too. Uh, I don't really see how that makes any sense, but I don't know. I mean, I think that just came down to they don't trust Wentz to get into the playoffs, and they think they have a playoff Super Bowl contending team. I mean, they had, what, seven or eight Pro Bowlers? Yeah. They've got one of the arguably best running backs in the league. One of the best offensive lines. And they just they 
need a guy who can throw to the receiver. One of the best defenses, too. And if they could just get a guy, I mean, bring Grappo in, he'd just be there to hand off and to actually throw accurate passes that Wentz couldn't do. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like I think this is Tannehill's last year in in Tennessee if he can't complete passes to those receivers he has. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, yeah. I'm not comparing Wentz to Tannehill because Tannehill's had a better career, but they both are inconsistent. I think they're guys you can kind of win with, though. I mean, in in certain situations, maybe more so Tannehill than Wentz, but they are similar in a lot of ways. Uh, And then the Bills grant Cole Beasley permission to seek a trade. And then Tag Central happened yesterday. Uh, The Dolphins franchise tagged uh, tight end Mike Jacecki. The Chiefs used their tag on offensive tackle Orlando Brown. Uh, Bucks tagged wide receiver Chris Godwin. Packers tagged Devontae Adams. The Cowboys tagged tight end Dalton Schultz after his big year. The Jags tagged offensive tackle Cam Robinson. Bengals tagged safety Jesse Bates, which I'm pretty sure they had to do or he was gone. Yep. And the Browns tagged tight end David Njoku, which is kind of surprising. What's the, the the Browns hardly throw to him? What's the deal with uh, J.C. Jackson? Why wouldn't the Patriots tag him? I don't know. One of the best corners in the league. They already got rid of Gilmore. I mean, that's what we were talking about last week about most interceptions. What's the end game there? I mean, it's kind of weird. I mean, unless they're in contact or contract negotiations with him or something. I think he's going to hit free agency. Another one. When's the tag deadline? It's already passed. And then wasn't there – didn't the uh, Niners tag Trent Williams? I thought they already extended him. Well, that's what I thought, and then someone told me yesterday that they they thought they tagged him, but I, I didn't see so. that. I don't think so. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. I don't know what happens with New England secondary. I mean, I you'd trust Bill to figure it out. They got good safety still, but a bit of a hole at corner if he's not back. Uh, the Titans did elect to not tag Harold Landry, but then they gave him a huge extension after. I'm not sure the numbers of that deal, but if you just keep going here, I can find it. Uh, yeah, I had seen the details there yesterday. I don't remember it, but he had a big season for him. Yeah. Um, but uh, combine one combine stat you had Georgia's defensive tackle Jordan Davis, who stands at six six, weighs three forty one, run ran a four seven eight forty. And then I, I, did, I wrote, "Wow, scouts, let the big dog eat." Yeah, he's going to be uh, – he's going to move up the board because of something like that. And, uh, yeah, it's five years, 87.5 mil for, for uh, Landry. Yeah, Jesus. Just saw it. Stanford hit a buzzer beater in the lane to beat Arizona State if it counts. <laughs> so bad. Uh, and then another uh, combine stat was Baylor's Kalen Barnes – Ran the second fastest 40 time in uh, combine history. Fishy clocking a 4-2-3, which is the fastest for a defensive back. Uh, the fastest ran is 
uh, was from wide receiver John Ross at 422 in 2017. The Patriots also did release Kyle Vannoy again to clear cap space, so he's been dropped from the Patriots like four times. Yeah, that was uh, he's getting up there in age, though, you know, so it makes sense. And then lastly in the NFL, you had, uh, as of Monday, Falcons' Calvin Ridley is suspended for at least the entire 2022 season uh, after betting or placing bets uh, happened in November when he wasn't with the team. He wasn't playing at the time. Uh, he bet a three, a five, and an eighteen parlay, including the Falcons in that bet, or at least one of the bets. Just not smart. But I don't know if this is worth the entire season. Like it's not like he was playing or with the team. It's not like he was influencing the games that he bet on in any way. So I don't really. I mean, I get it. It's dumb. He shouldn't have done it. It's obviously stupid. Especially you do it in your own name is dumb as hell. But. It's a bit weird when the NFL is in bed with all these sports books in massive ways with massive money involved, and this guy they wasn't even, with the team at all and had no influence. Said, I mean, they even said the bet was placed in Florida. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously very stupid of him, but I don't know about the one year. No, but I think it's. I think there's something like in their guidelines somewhere about betting. It definitely is, yeah. So I don't know. Yep. Uh, but, the golf. Yeah, last weekend at the Arnold Palmer Invitational, winner Scotty Scheffler won two point two million, shot five under. Course got tough as the weekend went on. Uh, Victor Hovland had a big lead and then struggled the last two rounds. Billy Horschel struggled as well. He was near the top at the end, but Scheffler. One at the waste management, finished tops, uh, tied for seventh the next week, and then wins again. So I think we have a bit of a star in the making here. And then uh, the Players' Championship is this weekend. Defending champion Justin Thomas. It's a TP, TPC Sawgrass, the Players' Stadium course, and Ponta Verda Beach, Florida. Yeah, I mean, this should be a good tournament. I think there's something about the conditions and the course being tough this week. So we'll see how that affects the players. Uh, we'll make our picks on that later. We're going to skip college basketball for now, and we're going to move to Major League Baseball, where the chance of the week, Rob Manfraud, are the chance. People talk about Manfred. But last night, the 15-plus-hour meetings, they seem to be getting closer on a lot of the numbers, but I think there's still some things holding it up. There's... MLB wants an international draft. Players want nothing to do with that. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, there's maybe a slim chance to get a deal done in the next couple there of days. There was something they've they've agreed on, though, right? Like a pitch count. Yeah, they or not a pitch count, count, a uh, pitch clock. A pitch clock, and there's like two or three other things they agreed on. Yeah, they need a little bit more give and take here. I mean, there's just too much optimism, and I think they're too close right now to not get something done the next week. But I also know that these things could break apart easily, so that could happen too. And Man, Manfred also wants like Man fraud. He wants seven inning games. He wants a three hour time limit. So no matter if you're in the in the sixth inning, bases loaded, two or you know. Well, he's one out, so one out, and it hits three. It hits the three-hour timer. The game's automatically called. So the home team who has the bases over one out, they don't get a chance anymore. They're just calling it at three hours. Is what he wants. 
yeah, he's a moron. So that's just not – that's never going to happen. Uh, I would say there's no chance. So we'll see if they get something done. Hopefully by next week they have something done, but I would not bet on it per se uh, without quickly these things can break down. But moving along to the NHL, trade rumors action. Uh, trade deadline coming up in about 12 days. Uh, three names that are possibly on the market. Uh, Mark Giordano, the defenseman, Norris Trophy winner 2019, Seattle Kraken. Uh, more than I'd say he's the most likely by far out of the three that we listed here to be traded. Uh, the former teams, captain of the Flames, right? Yes, he was a former captain of the Flames. Uh, teams that reportedly interested are the New York Rangers, Toronto Maple Leafs, Florida Panthers, St. Louis Blues, Carolina Hurricanes. Speaking as a Blues fan, uh, I don't see this one happening. I could see it. I could see it happening, but I don't think it's gonna uh, because I think that the Blues are probably going to shop for somebody lower on the salary cap than this, unless they have a plan to, you know, figure something out. But I think the most likely thing here would probably be someone like Toronto or maybe Florida, maybe the Rangers, but I doubt it. So that's how I view that one. Then now your guy, Jake DeBrusque, who I believe is the one who wants to trade out of Boston. Yeah, he Um, was, he asked for one last season. He's been hot though recently. And I don't think that that, I think I read an article earlier that said, uh, well, let's be honest. I saw a headline that said uh, DeBrusque's hot streak not going to stop him from wanting out of Boston, so he still wants out. Uh, Canucks, Oilers, and Sharks is teams that I've read on him. I think he'd be a great addition to the Oilers for a group or the Canucks for a group. Sharks, I don't see as much, but I think either one of those. I mean, with 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 Edmonton, it's like you got to get a better bottom six for a group. Like after McDavid, after Dreisaitl, after Nugent Hopkins, after Hyman, after I guess Evander Kane now, and after Jesse Pugliarvi, it's like pretty bad on the bottom six. And that's been goaltending, bottom six, and defense in some way, form, or fashion has been an issue uh, for Edmonton for like a long time. And it's keeping them from being able to compete at a level that they should, you know? So we will see. And with, I mean, new new Hopkins being hurt and they didn't have a timetable for him. It's another part where we need forward depth. And DeBrusque is a guy with a lot of talent, a guy who can score. And I think that he'd be a, a fine addition. But the question is, too, is like out of these teams, like what are they, what are the Bruins wanting back for DeBrusque? Well, or who could they get from? Yeah, he's Vancouver? hot. But leverage is out the door here, so it's kind of a balance. Maybe a team overpays with like a second and a prospect or a third and a prospect or something. I don't I don't really see Edmonton giving up a player in this deal, maybe a prospect, but that doesn't – when I say player, I mean like an NHL player. So we'll see. And then uh, Marc-Andre Fleury, the Blackhawks. Blackhawks have been disastrous. There's been – I think the Blackhawks have had more games leaving their goaltender out to dry than any other team this season. And it's been brutal for Mark Andre Fleury, a guy who won the Vesna last year in Vegas. I think a little bit of both for him last year. He's an elite goaltender, but he had a much better players in front of him in Vegas last year. Uh, Leafs are a team that a lot of people are talking about for him. Capitals, Oilers, Wild Avalanche. If I had to guess, I don't see Chicago doing this with Minnesota and Colorado unless they pay a ton. Uh, for Toronto, they're pretty much in on everybody. They're mentioned with everybody. Um I would assume that we see a scenario where he ends up in Toronto, maybe, if, if they can figure it out with the cap. But I don't know. We'll see if Chicago trades him at all. Maybe he doesn't get traded at all. But uh, 
who knows? Uh, speaking of Seattle and what Jared McCann has done there, and uh, Giordano, a guy on the way out, looks like McCann's going to be there to stay. Signed a five-year extension, five mil per year for him. Uh, he was a very solid forward for the uh, Penguins for a few years. Quality piece, having a good season there. And I think it makes sense for them to get this done. Get a guy in your top six for years to come. Yeah. Austin Matthews, likely to win the Maurice Richard trophy for most goals. Uh, I believe Ovechkin's second with 36 right now. Matthews has 43 goals in 54 games on pace for 62, which I'm assuming the last guy to score 60. Didn't Ovechkin score 60 one year? I think uh, he did. That sounds he's, right. Well, he's had a bunch of, obviously, a huge number of big seasons. Yeah, he scored 65 in 2007, 2008. That's his most. He's had uh, one, two, three, four, five, six 50 goal seasons and a 60 goal season. But I think the next generation, with when Ovi hangs it up, Matthew's clearly the guy. He's got 242 career goals in 388 games. He scored 40 his first season, 34 his second season, uh, 37 his third season, 47 in a shortened season. 41 last year in a shortened season. Like, think about this. Austin Matthews has 84 goals in his last 106 games. That is unbelievable. So, pretty good. He won the Maurice Richard last year, unless he goes really cold, looking like he's going to do it again this year. So, what a uh, what a year he's had. I can't believe this guy's still playing. Yamir Yager. Oh, yeah. Organizes organizes game to benefit Ukrainian families seeking asylum in the Czech Republic. Uh, his team Kladno uh, is playing HC Sparta Prague. Uh, they moved the game to the O2 Arena in Prague for bigger uh, or to I mean it's a bigger venue where the ticket sales are going to this. He's got 19 points in 43 games this year. 50 years old. Drafted fifth overall in 1990. Played with the Penguins for, I don't know, how many years, then moved on. I mean, he bounced around. Played in Florida, I think. Played in Boston. Yeah. Um, where else did he play? I'm trying to think of late in his career. He had certain spots he was going to play. I thought his last yeah. year was in Boston before he – I thought it was Florida. Um, Pittsburgh to Washington to the Rangers to the Flyers to the Stars to the Devils to the uh, Panthers. And he actually finished in Calgary. Oh. Interesting. It's very weird, but uh, I didn't know he played for that many teams. Yeah. What do we have next here? College hoops. All right. Um, pretty much full swing of things with college hoops. Now you got the AP poll, last one of the regular season, last one until. Uh, after the national championship, so uh, yeah. Gonzaga stayed at one, Arizona stayed at two, Baylor stayed at three, Auburn moved up one to four, Kentucky up two to five, Kansas stayed at six, Duke dropped three to seven, Villanova up three to eight, Tennessee up four to nine, Purdue dropped one to ten, Illinois went up four to number 16. Murray State up three to nineteen. They are thirty and two. Have not lost um, 
since December 22nd, which is when they played Auburn, Colorado State at 23, and North Carolina back in the top 25 at number 25. All right. And then a big touching moment over the weekend, Keontae Johnson got the start for Florida against Kentucky uh, on his senior night. He's been out since he collapsed on the court in December of 2020. I mean, it was a great moment. This is a guy who was the preseason SEC player of the year last season. Legit player. And this happening to him, assuming he's never going to be able to play again, which is unfortunate, but uh, very classy by Florida, very classy by the Kentucky players. Yeah, so. I mean, they they tipped – they had the ball tipped. He caught it. They – Stopped the game and shook all his teammates' hand, kissed the gator on center court, then even ran over and dapped up. Uh, Calipari? Yeah. Pretty good moment. Pretty good moment. This is the type of moment you love in sports, no doubt. Um, but we have uh, – let's do, let's do the, the clinch we have, teams. Well, we have the Power Six Conference winners of the regular season. Uh, Duke won the ACC – Baylor and Kansas tied for Big 12. Illinois, Wisconsin tied for the Big 10. Thank you, Nebraska. Thank you, Nebraska. I'd like to thank the Cornhuskers and Fred Hoiberg for beating Wisconsin, giving Illinois the opportunity to get a share of the Big 10 title. Uh, I believe Brad Underwood, the head coach of Illinois, obviously more pretty much on a national scale right now, so people might not know that, so i got to say it. Uh, he sent a case of wine to Fred Hoiberg as a token of appreciation for what the Cornhuskers did for our program. Thank you. Uh, Did he really do this? Yeah. Thank uh, you, Nebraska. Big Cornhusker guy. Go ahead. Providence won the Big East their first time in history. Fraudulent Big East, but they did win it, so congrats. Uh, Arizona won the Pac-12, and Auburn won the SEC. I think there's you could make a case that besides the ACC and the Big 12, you could make a case that the best team in the other four conferences did not win the regular season title. You can make a case for Purdue being the best team in the Big Ten. I don't know if it's true, but you can make that case. I think Villanova is the best team in the Big East. Arizona is the best team in the Pac-12. So I guess it's a split 3-3 thing. And I think Kentucky's the best team in the SEC. So uh, we'll talk brackets here in a little bit. But uh, we do have uh, some auto bids that have been handed out to this point. Uh, let me try to count the number here. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 automatic bids handed out with uh, quick math. 21 to go, and including one tonight. Yeah, so you had Murray State winning the Ohio Valley Conference. Uh, Chattanooga won the SOCON. Longwood won the Big South. Loyola Chicago won the Missouri Valley. Georgia State won the Sun Belt. Jacksonville State won the Atlantic Sun. Uh, Wright State won the Horizon League. Delaware won the uh, Colonial Athletic. Uh, Bryant won the, what, what, the neck, know. the Northeast. Uh, South Dakota State won the summit. Gonzaga won the West Coast. And then the last, or I mean, it's not clinched. The closest one would be played tonight Colgate versus Navy to see who wins the Patriot League. Now, before we look at Lenardi's bracketology, let me just say this about the Atlantic Sun. So, Bellarmine last season transitioned from D2 to D1. They had the best regular season record in the Atlantic Sun last season. This season, 
They were once again one of the top four teams in the Atlantic Sun. They beat Jacksonville in the Atlantic Sun Championship yesterday. They can't play in the NCAA tournament until 2026 because one of the dumbest rules in the history of the NCAA is the transition rule, where you're transitioning from D2 or D3 to D1, and you have a five-year postseason ban, which is just so ridiculous. Here's a team in Bellarmine that won their conference tournament championship. They should be in right now, but Jacksonville State is in because Jacksonville State, who lost to Jacksonville in the semifinals, had the best regular season record. So now they're in the tournament after losing in the semifinals. It's one of the biggest dumbest jokes I've ever seen because this is Bellarmine who transitioned last year they've been in D1 for two seasons regular season champions last year in the Atlantic Sun tournament champions this year and no tournament bids to show for it because the NCAA is a joke well who else was it that we talked about earlier who is switching or did switch but can't compete in postseason I, there was two of those cases. I know one of them was the Illinois, Chicago, and the Horizon. Uh, they're going to the Missouri Valley, I think, and they reversed that. They let them play. I can't remember the other one, though, but that's more of a conference thing. This is just a dumb NCAA rule. Well, this was they couldn't play in the conference tournament. Yeah. Well, they couldn't even go. That's is. Was that the Coastal? I don't remember what one that was. Um I don't know. There was like two teams that were leaving. Yeah, I don't remember, but I mean, either way, the conference and the NCAA overstepping the boundaries is just so dumb. I don't even know how many weeks ago that would have been when. Well, while you're looking at that, uh, let's take a look at some quick bracket stuff here. Anybody who follows me on the social media knows that I'm pretty, I'd say college basketball is my number one thing and then well, probably hockey after that so yeah the, yeah the colonial athletic uh they uh added uh hampton monmouth and stony brook stony brook yeah okay and that that what conference are they in now stony brook i will find this very quickly those three all came from the one conference right stony brook is in the america east what were the other two you said hampton and monmouth no, I think Monmouth is in the uh, the MAAC, aren't they? Yeah. And then Hampton is something I've never heard of. But they do exist. They're in the Big South, so three different conferences. But where was Stony Brook out of? The, uh, the America East Conference, where Vermont is just rolling to that championship. But they weren't allowed to – they're not allowed to play in the conference tournament. Yeah, Hampton was able to play in theirs, and I think uh, – the other team you said was allowed to as well. Uh, Monmouth. Monmouth. Yeah. All right, let's take a look here. Joe Lenardi, ESPN Bracketology. Uh, I don't really know what you want to do with this. Like, what do you think we should talk about with this? Well, this know, can, what, can, what, were the, what were the top, the last four and everything? So last four buys for Lenardi uh, was originally, before today, Wake Forest, Creighton, Memphis, and Michigan. Now, Wake Forest just lost to Boston College. I think Wake Forest, given their metrics, given their resume, I think Wake Forest is not going to make the NCAA tournament, which is brutal given the fact they just gave Steve Forbes an extension yesterday. They have the ACC player of the year with Alondis Williams, and them missing the tournament is just going to be a gut punch. So, I mean, I can talk about all these teams if you want, I, at least the teams, that, the last eight that he has in, uh, if you want me to do that. I mean, the no, next so, – so- 
Wake then probably drops to what with the first four out. I would assume so, given what could happen. I I don't think I don't know if this is an order or not, but I feel like Wake Forest was even lower than that on a lot but of then, people's brackets. Like, who do you think then out of the first four out comes in? Well, I think a lot of that depends on the the uh, the conference tournaments. Let's say, for example, Indiana plays Michigan tomorrow morning. If Indiana beats Michigan, then they have a shot at Illinois. If they win those two games, Indiana is going to get in. If they beat Michigan, I think there's a big question mark there. Um, BYU's done. I don't see them making the tournament. They're already gone anyway because the West Coast Conference, they lost. Say, the they West already. Coast. And yeah. then how far do they in advance in that? Uh, I think they won one game against Loyola Marymount, and then they got beat up by San Francisco, so they're done. Uh, Dayton is a team that I don't – I mean, if they can play their way to the Atlantic 10 championship, then I think they have a shot. Uh, but I think – I don't know how likely that is. I don't know. I, I feel like that's not going to be a very multi-bid league. I think it might be a one-bid league this year. That's I think that's why I think the Mountain West tournament and the Atlantic 10 tournaments are the two most fascinating. The Mountain West being more so for the quality of teams and what seeds they get, the Atlantic 10 being for the fact that they're not going to get a lot of bids. So that's a problem there. And then uh, the other one was Virginia Tech. Yeah, Virginia Tech, the ACC is so bad this year that I – Virginia Tech's gonna have to win two, I would think. Uh, it just—it's odd to me that he has them over Virginia. I I agree with him having that though, because I think in terms of metrics, Virginia Tech's a lot better than Virginia, and I think in terms of um, wins, I don't think there's that big of a discrepancy there either. I think Virginia is just looked at as the name brand team that won a championship in 2019. I think Virginia Tech's a way better team. Which like, I also feel like that's why Florida's up there because I don't think Florida should even be in consideration. Yeah, I think Florida for them, a lot of it's due to the quality of the conference and some of the wins they have. Like they beat Auburn, uh, so that's a win there. Texas a and I think the same thing. VCU, another team out of the Atlantic 10, I don't see them having much of a chance unless they win. Now, if you get a situation where, let's say last year, like in the Big East and the Pac-12, where Oregon State won the Pac-12 tournament and Georgetown won the Big East tournament, those are two teams that were nowhere near the tournament bubble last year, and they got in. That's stealing bids from the bubble team. So I can see that happening. I picked St. John's to win the Big East tournament this year. But uh, I have a feeling there's no way <laughs> that Oregon State's winning the Pac-12 tournament. Yeah, I think that's a safe bet considering their 3-27 and record. <laughs> I, I would think that that's a safe bet. They got Oregon coming up here. I in, think in they – there three aren't there three wins in conference? So. Uh, they might – do they have three in conference or two? Oh, they have one. One and 19. They beat uh, Portland State and Nichols State. They actually won two games in a row um, on December 21st and December 30th. And then they've lost every single game since then. So, yeah, not good. Probably the worst follow-up to a to an Elite Eight run in the history of college So they're, they're like the total reverse since of Murray State since – Murray State hasn't lost since December 22nd. Yeah. And, uh, and they only have two losses. Every game since December 30th. <laughs> so that's the thing with uh, with Oregon State is this is a team that made the Elite Eight last year. Elite Eight. I know it was like a fluke weird run, but they've – Elite Eight to 3-27 and 27 with three starters returning has to be the worst – I was saying, it's not like they. It's not like they lost a. They lost their best player, but they had three. Alatisha's yeah, back. Meant, Lucas like, is back. It wasn't like they lost a bunch. Yeah, 
They lost Ethan Thompson, who was their best player. But other than that, they got three starters back plus a couple of decent friends. It's just it's a disastrous season. Which I think it would help, like March Madness, if they made it somewhat like football. Not that you have to stay three years, but you should at least have to get go for two years and get a degree. Yeah, I don't think that they should. I wouldn't do that now. Maybe with the NIL, I'd do that. But like the thing is, the G League being an option for a lot of guys is probably what would make me not want to do that. Just because these guys don't want to have to go for two years when they could just go to the G League for one year. So I think that's kind of what would hold that up. Yeah, but I are you going to make more money in the G League than you'd make in NIL for two years? Uh. Probably not, but it's a timing thing too. Like the NBA values younger players more than anything in the draft, I think, to a certain degree. I mean, this should have been done before the NIL got put in. Yeah, well, that ship has sailed. Uh, anything else you want to cover with this? or? I mean, other than that, like what do you think on the bracket, what Luminati's bracket? Like, I, like we both like where our teams are at. I would hate I would I, I really don't want Illinois to be a four because I think they're a lot more prone to losing in round one if they're a four, but I think they'll be fine. I think the thing with Lenardi's bracket this year is I think he might have his worst year ever unless he makes some changes because he's got some weird things in here. Like the idea that some of these teams are gonna get in over others is very confusing to me for Lenardi, but he, he'll have time to make changes late, obviously, in the next few days. But uh if I had to pick a final four from this setup right here. I would think that Gonzaga being in the same bracket with Wisconsin is a huge win for Gonzaga. I don't think Texas Tech's much of a threat to Gonzaga, even though Texas Tech, I believe, played Gonzaga very close in the regular season. Um, I think here, – here's what I'll give you. I'll give you a Final Four team, and I'll give you an upset special. In Texas Tech could lose and to LSU. Or Michigan probably, yeah. Uh, but I think Gonzaga comes out of this region hypothetically easily. I think the upset pick – on this region would easily be Vermont over Arkansas. Vermont's an electric offensive team. Arkansas has been playing very well, but I think it's one of those weird uh, – another bad draw for Arkansas too because last year Arkansas drew a very good Colgate team. They beat them, but, um, yeah, I would take Zaga out of this out of this West region, and then obviously my upset special would be Vermont in that. But then, I mean, you look at the South region, Baylor I think is very prone to a Sweet 16 exit. Maybe not with this specific bracket. I mean, UCLA and Alabama would be interesting matchups for them. But uh, I think coming out of this one, I would I would think Duke could come out of this one. And I think the upset special pick would be Alabama to lose to South Dakota State. South Dakota State's offenses, and I know it's been against Summit League teams and non-conference play, South Dakota's offenses was one of the best in the country. There's like seven or eight metrics where they're top 15 as a Summit League team in the entire country. And they have a go-to guy. They have a guy that makes big shots. You see last night, dagger three by Baylor Shireman, who's the Summit Player of the Year. Uh, just a very – and he liked one of my tweets about him last night too. So shout out to him. Uh, but I think, you know, I think Duke comes out of that, and I think South Dakota State's an upset special. People will like Iona as well because of the Richard uh, Rick Patino factor. And I think Princeton would be popular as well because Princeton's offense is the same thing, moving the ball around, making good cuts, smart plays. Ivy League think they're better than everybody else, that type of thing. So I'd have Gonzaga and Duke. And you move down to the east. Um, I think with this bracket, I think Kentucky would come out of this. Um, I think Them Kentucky, being in the east confused me because 
you know, normally it goes in order of what you're ranked overall. So, you know, Gonzaga being the overall one, they would be the West. So, yeah, if Kentucky's the overall or thirty two, you, you would think they'd be the overall or the. You would think they'd be the number two or number one two seed. Yeah, so you would think that they would take be in the south or the Midwest, not the East. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, this is Lenardi, though. It's not the committee, so, you know, who knows what they would do. No, that's why I feel like this isn't where they're going to be. I feel like Duke's going to end up in the East, and Kentucky's going to be in the Midwest or the South. I would assume that, too. Because um, Wisconsin's also in the West, and you would think if Gonzaga's the number one, and, like, I I just feel like his order of where these teams are at aren't going to be where they're I, like if anything, Wisconsin and is going to be in the Midwest, and then you would think Kentucky would be in the South. Probably so, yeah. Um, so I would have Kentucky coming out of this. I think the upset special pick would be back-to-back years of first-round exits for Ohio State, Memphis. Memphis is playing very well with Imani Bates leaving. Another one you could look at is if Wyoming was in the play-in and they got out of that and played Houston in the first round, I could see that as well. Because Wyoming has a very good inside-out duo of Graham Ike and Hunter Maldonado. And uh, they've had good competition all season. The Mountain West has been very competitive. I think that helps. And Houston, without Marcus Sasser and Tremont Mark, is a much different team and not anywhere near what they were last year. No, and you I mean, they still got to get to their conference tournament. Who, Houston? Yeah. Well, I mean, they're going to be like a seven at the worst. But no, the thing- I'm not saying they're not going to make the tournament. I'm just saying yeah. they still got to either play SMU or uh, Memphis. Yeah, yeah. Even a two-lane team they could struggle with. Here's the funny thing about Houston: is early in the season they were really, really good. Bryant, uh, who won the Northeast last night, lost to Houston by 67 points in the non-conference. And both of those teams have completely flipped. Bryant's the most dominant team in the Northeast Conference. Houston has kind of sputtered, but they still have a really good record, really good metrics. If they didn't have great metrics, Houston would probably be looked at as like a 10 or 11, if we're being honest. But uh, So I would have Kentucky coming out of that one. And then the Midwest that he has here, I just don't see a scenario where Arizona doesn't get out. Like I don't think that Providence or Texas pose any threat to them. I don't think North Carolina or Iowa State do. Uh, Purdue might. Auburn might. Other than that, though, no. And I think the, the upset pick here is Chattanooga over Providence easily. Chattanooga has five guys you don't want to play against. I know they barely beat Furman. They did that buzzer beater to beat Furman to win the SoCon, but uh, they have a very, very good team, Chattanooga. So, so who, do you, who do you have in the Elite Eight, or just what seeds do you have out of each one? In the Elite Eight or the Final Four? Elite Eight. Like out of the East, you got Kentucky, who's a two. Kentucky, who's a two, and I would say – I'm not going to go with the Homer Illinois picks. I think they could legitimately beat Kansas in the Sweet 16 if they had to. Uh, but I'll say I'll say I'll say Kansas and Kentucky one and two. Um, for the West, if we go up here, I would say I'm feeling uh, LSU Gonzaga for some reason. I don't know why, but I think LSU plays such good defense that they could they could get there. Which and is what, one and six. One and six. Yeah, I don't think Wisconsin's going to be able to get in the Elite Eight, maybe out of the, with that side. It's not that hard after them. Maybe Texas Tech, another team you look at. Uh, in the South, I would well, – I don't see – You have two. Yeah, I have Duke in there. I, I, I'm i just going to throw something at the wall and think that another – I'm going to say South Dakota State 
I mean, I know Oregon State got theirs a 12 last year. I think South Dakota State get theirs a 12. I think Baylor, without their defensive leader, Jonathan Chamwachacha, was a completely different team. I don't see Baylor going very far for that reason. So I'm going to say 12 versus two. So everyone's going to say Duke's going to have a layup to get there. But I'm just saying, you know, like Duke, Duke versus Boise State and then Duke versus like Tennessee or Iowa is like not really difficult, right? So I don't know. Um, what uh, The Midwest is the last one. Arizona, a one. I see them doing it for sure. I'll say – I'll say Purdue a three. So so it's uh, one versus six, one versus twelve on the top west and the south, and the bottom one versus two and one versus three. So not some chalk, not too much chalk, but I think all the one seeds get there. And then where's Murray State? Nine against Seton Hall, which they could also beat Kansas. They could, and they could also end up being like a seven too. I think that's possible if things fall a certain way. A seven seed. You know, they went 30 and two undefeated in conference. They have go to guys. I mean, KJ Williams was the OVC player of the year, but he might not even be the best player on his own team because Juice Hill and Tevin Brown are legit too. Yeah. They're in the top 25 in like scoring offense and scoring defense. Yeah. They're legit. But uh, all right. Should be a fun week. We'll cover it even more before the entire, I mean, the first four will be happening by the time we record next week, but we'll have. The entire first round of preview next week, and uh, and we'll get a guest. Yeah, we'll have special guests next week. Special guest. All right, so that'll do it for the college basketball portion. Now let's finish up with the picks here. Uh, Seven and four for me last week, and then we'll uh, start with the players' championship. I went uh, seven and four as well. Now three sixty-five and two ninety-seven, picking up Scotty Scheffler winning in golf last week. I'm three sixty-three and two ninety-three. And then you also picked somebody in golf, right? Yeah, I don't remember who it was though. It was a top ten. If I if I look it up, I'll be able to find out. But you I know he tied he tied like ninth or something. Yeah, I'll figure it out. You go ahead with your picks for this week. Uh for golf, you said to start? Yeah. Uh top or my top three to win. Um Morikawa plus fourteen hundred, Victor Hovland at plus twenty two hundred, and Dustin Johnson at plus thirty five hundred. Uh, my top five, Patrick Cantlay at plus 450. And top 10, Hideki Matsuyama at plus 250. So I have um, – I had Sam Burns tied for ninth last week. So that was my pick there. And then it was uh, – trying to get something on my screen here for college basketball. Uh, for this week, I have Players' Championship is what we're doing this week. To win, I'll take the defending champ, Justin Thomas, plus 1,000. Uh, Brooks Kepka plus 3,000. Victor Hovland, plus 2,200. Top five, Rory, plus 400. And uh, Dustin Johnson, top 10, plus 400 as well. Uh, let's do just both of us the uh, at, all at once, uh, NHL and NBA picks. Uh, NHL for t- t- tomorrow, right? Yeah. And then N- uh, NBA for tonight. So go ahead with both of those. Uh, the NBA for tonight, I got the Celtics minus 7.5 over the Hornets. Hornets are missing like Gordon Hayward. Uh, that Bach Knight and somebody else. And the Celtics have Jalen Brown back. And then I got the Clippers minus four over the Wizards. Uh, NHL for tomorrow, I got the Senators minus 120 over the Kraken. And the Lightning minus 110 over the Flames, which somehow last week you finally got the Flames to lose. They got killed, didn't they? 5-4. Oh, oh, somebody got killed that I picked. 
for the in for the NBA, I'll take the Knicks plus eight at the Mavericks and the Magic plus nine at the Pelicans. NHL, give me the Avalanche minus 115 at the Hurricanes. Avalanche losing to the Devils last night, bounce back spot. And then the Devils winning last night, bounce back, non-bounce back. They're going to win again, plus 100 against the Jets. Uh, all right, college hoops. We are Who's picking your first in between? Uh, Knicks plus eight at the Mavericks. And full disclosure, in real betting, I have them money line tonight. So it's a parlay, though. It's three money lines, Nets, given, Suns, Knicks, money lines. Give the Knicks to beat the Mavs? Plus 340. Yeah, the Knicks are hot, dude. Plus 340 is a great number, too. So I have the Suns winning at – so it's Knicks at Dallas, Suns at Miami, Nets at Philly. So I'm banking on three road wins for a parlay to hit. And good thing Ooh, I Nets, won't bet like two Nets, months on it. Nets reuniting with Harden already. Yeah, so I think they're going to be motivated. Kyrie had 50 last night. Uh, well, yeah, there was just a thing about – or Steve Nash said we showed the level we can play at. Yeah, I think that they can do that. But uh, all right. Let's finish college hoops. Uh, we have what all power six conference tournament winners and one mid major tournament winner. Yeah. So who do you have um, the ACC winning the ACC conference tournament? It's already a wild one with Boston College winning two games and Syracuse blowing Florida State out of the water. Uh, but I'm but gonna go chalk here. There's a po- hey, there's a possibility Buddy Bayheim will not be able to play tomorrow. Yeah, I don't think it matters either way, to be honest. I think Duke uh, handles them. I think Duke losing North Carolina made me more confident in them winning the conference tournament. So give me Duke. I also have Duke picked in that uh, Big 12. So I went off the board for this one. I'm sticking with all my picks that I had in the uh, Monday college basketball show that I do. So I'm I'm going TCU a little off the board here. I think that they're a gritty team. They beat Texas Tech. They beat Kansas. And if they can get through that first game, I think they have a good chance. And they beat Kansas and then played them two days later and Almost only lost to them by four. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I took Baylor. Yeah, Baylor had a very disappointing Big 12 tournament last year, so they could follow that up with winning it and get a little bit of confidence going into the tournament because it's going to be very hard for them to win into the Sweet 16 or Elite Eight without Chamo Chachima. Because they're, they're, they're the two seed. Yeah. Kansas is the one. And they have to play – they – are on the same side as Texas. That means Kansas on the same side as Tech? Let me look. I got it right here. Uh, Big 12 tournament. All right. Kansas plays winner of Kansas State, West Virginia. Texas and TCU play. That's on the side of Kansas. And then Baylor plays Oklahoma, Texas Tech plays Iowa State. So Baylor's on Texas Tech side, yeah. Kansas on Texas That's side. That's why I took Baylor. So TCU has to beat uh, Texas, and Kansas, Kansas, and, and then, then Baylor and Texas Tech probably. Yeah. So, yeah, that won't be easy, but, hey, they're a team that's capable of getting hot. They're not a very good three-point shooting team, but inside – inside the three-point line, that's where they beat you. That's why I took Baylor was because of the side of the bracket they were on. That's fair. It's a good side because if Iowa, Iowa State's capable of beating Texas Tech, I mean, it's not impossible. But uh, all right, what do we have next? Big 10. Taking Iowa. Iowa was the hottest team going into the conference tournament. They lost to Illinois to finish the season, but they played very well for most of that game. They just couldn't hit shots late, and they were 10 for 22 from the free throw line. 
Iowa's offense is different. I think that much more athleticism this year, much more of an ability to play a smaller lineup and still defend well, better defensively than Purdue. Jordan Bohannon's in his eighth year of eligibility. Yeah, he's coming off of a game against Illinois where he had zero points, so I think he's going to want to redeem himself there. And, uh, yeah, they're on. Uh, they're the five seed, so I think they're on – What's they're on the that? top side, which is the, with the higher seeds. Yeah, they're with Illinois and Rutgers. Yeah, they All play right. the they their game. They play go and play Rutgers. Yeah, but they have a game before that tomorrow. So I'm assuming yeah. do they they play the winner of uh, Nebraska Northwestern or something like that. Yeah, they have. Yeah, they're they have a one by. Yeah. Um, I took Purdue. Not a bad pick either. Uh, that that's who I picked last year, and they didn't do it, but. Good team. And they're the three seed, right? Yeah, yeah. it's uh, Wisconsin or Illinois, Wisconsin, Purdue, Rutgers, yeah. Iowa, so on and so forth. Um, which I was going to ask our special guest who was supposed to be on here today, had to get pulled away from work. He's going to the Illinois game tomorrow. I was wondering if his tickets were, were for just the Illinois game. For the Illinois and Rucker game, I think he's going to be there all, all week or all four on that day because the other know. two are later in the day. Maybe just the Illinois games because those are back to back, and then I think the other ones don't start start to like six. Illinois' first game is ten thirty a.m. on Friday for us. Yeah, eleven thirty for Indy, yeah, which is weird that we're in a different time zone than Indy, but I guess that's science yeah. or whatever. Yeah, so but I, the other the Rutgers games is directly after. Yeah, so that would probably be what like one o'clock. Yeah, and then the other the night game or the other two don't start till like six and eight. Yeah, I don't so know. I didn't know if he was going for just the morning session tomorrow or for. Well, we, we could find out three days after the fact on uh, next Wednesday. Yeah, uh, Big East. Another one I'm going off the board. Uh, full disclosure, I have uh, somewhat of a wager on this one. Uh, St. John's, you know, two very good players, Julian Champigny and uh, Posh Alexander, plus Montez Mathis, a transfer from Rutgers. Good lineup, very underachieving this season. And if the Big East taught us anything last year, it's that anybody can win it because Georgetown winning it last year and then following it up with an 0-19 conference record this year is – Hey, they're in the same boat as Oregon State. Except the thing with Oregon State is that Oregon State got to the Elite Eight. Georgetown got killed in the first round. But, you know, it, there's somewhat of a difference, but not really. Uh, so I'll take St. John's. I took my favorite Big East team at Villanova. It's a good pick. I mean, they're the best team, I think. They're well, not you very the sarcasm. I hated how they were overranked at the beginning of the year when they got Yeah, that's true. Uh, you and uh, our special guest who is supposed to be on today, who will be on next week apparently. <laughs> we'll just keep making dicks at much, him how he didn't, wasn't here. Very, very much uh, was up and down on Villanova this year as well. And I, I kind of was, but I didn't talk about it as much. Uh, but I worry about their depth for sure. Yeah, I, I mean, you got to think that this tournament, if it plays out right, it's gonna. I mean, Providence, Villanova in the final. I mean, Villanova has the best player in the league, and he's a point guard, and he runs everything for them. Colin Gillespie, I think, is the best pure point guard in the country too. So that helps in these situations. Uh, Pack twelve. I'm pretty sure we have the same team. I doubt it. Um, I have Arizona. Yeah, went off the board with this one as well. Trying to be unique. Uh, I'm 
this is a team that I've stuck with and talked about and liked most of the season, except for the last like month. And they're without their best player in the Pac-12 tournament, but I already picked it. So I have to stick with it. And that is the uh, Oregon Ducks. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I love them preseason. They got great transfers. Their lineup on paper should be second best, maybe third best in this conference. And they've just been horrendous. I mean, they Will Richardson's out, so that's going to hurt them a lot. But they have Jacob Young now. They have Devion Harmon. They have Eric Williams back. Uh, they have Quincy Garrier. It makes no sense that they've been this bad. Dana Altman's always a very good big game coach. I think they'll make a bit of a run here. They're obviously playing Oregon State right now. That should be a win, and then things get dicey from there. But I, this team should be so much better. So I have a I have a two leg parlay of St. John's and Oregon. So they both win the conference tournaments. It's like I have like a dollar to win like three hundred and seven. Wait, listeners, so. Ethan never would bet before, but now that it's became. It's very not, easy and accessible. Not, now that he doesn't have to go to a casino to register anything, he's well, the a casinos big, are very far away too. He's become a huge better in the last week. I don't know if I'd say it's very responsible. I'm not saying he's betting outrageous yeah. amount of money. I'm he's betting, just betting a lot of dollar. games. Yeah, a lot I'm of parlays. Throw throw things at the board, see what sticks. Who, and, was, uh, it that, who was it that got you Sunday? Uh, you had four out of five teams. Yeah, it was Hofstra losing to Charleston. That was a gut punch. I should have known better too. But uh, yeah, I'll just say this. I mean, maybe FanDuel or DraftKings or something like that can give us a sponsor. I'm just gonna keep mentioning and mentioning that until it works. So why not? You talking about Oregon and their like roster? It's like what we've talked about before, like Florida State. How like yeah. when after they beat Duke, we talked about how like they have so much length. Like they don't have a guy on their roster under six five. The difference and the biggest problem for Oregon though is that Oregon's roster is all veterans. Like Florida State's still young. And by the way, Oregon's up twelve nothing in the first five yeah. minutes. No, Oregon I'm just mean like on paper when you look at yeah, Florida that's the State's same. Roster, it's the same concept. Yeah, you're like, oh, their point guard six five, and they got like six guys six nine and up, and they just yeah. create so much. Their length creates so much difficulty on the defensive end for every team, but. Then they play against a zone and get destroyed today by Syracuse, who hadn't looked good, blew a game against North Carolina and North Carolina Senior Night, and they could have ruined that for them. They're like, oh, no, we'll give it to North Carolina here. Yeah, I mean, it was bad. It's been bad for, for Oregon and bad for Florida State. So SEC is next. Yep. Uh, I took Auburn, but I also think – that Auburn Arkansas game could be huge, like a good matchup. And if Arkansas won that, that's definitely has to move them up in the bracket. If they make the SEC championship, yeah, I think it would. Um, I'm going to take Kentucky. I just think they're the best team. I think they're better than everybody in this conference. I think they have something to prove if they get to play Auburn again because they were beating Auburn by 10 before Ty Ty Washington got hurt in that game, and then they ended up losing. That was at Auburn, but I think Kentucky has something to prove here. And Kentucky can get to the one line if they do this as well. Because if, if all four advance, the top four would be what, Auburn versus Arkansas and then Tennessee versus Kentucky. Here we go. Yeah. Yep. We'll see. Which are, which are all good matchups. Tennessee's played Kentucky tough. Beat them once, lost to them the other time. The first time they didn't really play them tough, but the second time, I mean, the first time I think Kentucky scored 100 points. But 
Auburn, did Auburn sweep Kentucky? They only played it once. And then what about Auburn? They only play once. Or Arkansas meant played Kentucky. Uh, I think I'm not 100 percent sure though. But either way, I, I, I mean, I have Auburn, but I just think Arkansas. That's huge for them if they can beat Auburn there. Yeah, it would. It would definitely maybe move them up from four to a three, possibly, or if some people have been a five to a four. So it'd be big for them, no doubt. Um, let's uh, let's finish this off here with the mid-major conference. Yeah, what you what mid-major did you take? Taking the Metro Atlantic Conference, which features uh, a guy named Rick Pitino, who he won it last Iona. year. He and took Iona. Yes, easy easy pick for me. Don't take their baseball team. You can take nope. their basketball team. Yep, I'm I'm all in on that. Yep, hundred percent. Uh, I took the Mountain West. All right. And I took the league. That's a tough pick to make. And I'm taking the two seed. Taking Colorado State. I like it. Player of the year, David Roddy. He's like a linebacker that can do everything on the basketball court. I like the pick. Who's the one seed in the Mountain West? Uh, Is Boise? it SU or Boise State? I think it's Boise State. It's Boise, I think. Well, if I can find the M's here in my cattle. Okay. Uh, Boise State's the one. Colorado State's the two. San Diego State's the three. Wyoming, four. UNLV, five. Which, oh, that was another thing when we were talking about Lenardi's bracketology. He's got the top four teams from the Mountain West in the tournament. Yeah, I think it's always been a three to a four-bid um, league. I he's think got the, Wyoming in the playing game against Xavier. San Diego State is a nine. Um, Boise has a seven. And uh, Colorado State is a seven as well. Yeah, I mean Colorado State wins that. I don't. I don't see if Boise or Colorado State win that. I don't see them moving past a seven though. I would agree. I think a lot of it depends on what happens around them. But it would just be if a Wyoming or San Diego State upset, they would move up. Yeah. Well, we'll find out all about it. We'll talk about it next week. Hopefully we have said special guest that was supposed to be on today on next week. Uh, but that'll do it for us. Uh, episode 55 will come your way next week. A lot of college basketball, I'm sure. A college basketball heavy show uh, next week. So we'll see you on the 16th for number 55.